Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This is the Vice Guide to Right Now, a daily rundown of all things Vice. It's Monday, January 15th. I'm Chris Hurdy. Today we're talking about the last two remaining pinball doctors in New York and the growing right to repair movement. But first, the headlines. Trump was expected to let stand the landmark 2015 agreement with Iran to halt its nuclear program and to decline reintroducing U.S. sanctions. However, Trump is now reportedly set to impose new personal sanctions on Iranian officers over alleged corruption and human rights violations. An Iranian oil tanker, still on fire almost a week after crashing into another ship off the coast of China, has floated into Japan's exclusive economic zone, thanks in part to strong winds. The vessel held nearly a million barrels of crude oil. And let's not forget last week when, in a discussion with lawmakers at the White House about protections for immigrants from Haiti, El Salvador, and African nations, President Trump reportedly asked, quote, why are we having all these people from shithole countries come here? According to those present, Trump said he would prefer immigrants from countries like Norway. Despite widespread outrage about Trump's apparent preference for white immigrants, few Republican lawmakers condemned his remarks. And now, here's the news you won't get anywhere else. Everybody knows pinball. It's uniquely American. It's like a hamburger. I'm Mike Hooker, and I repair pinball and other coin-operated arcade games. There are only a few pinball machine repair people left in all of New York. And now that pinball machines and other vintage arcade games are having a comeback, these few technicians are, as you can imagine, incredibly busy. But while business is booming for these individuals, there's a burgeoning right-to-repair movement underway that's pushing for electronics manufacturers to make repair manuals available to the public. I like taking something that didn't work and making it work. Here's executive editor Dory Carr-Harris speaking with Motherboard Editor-in-Chief Jason Kebler on the movement. So we're here today to talk about a new series that Motherboard is launching called State of Repair. What's it about? So State of Repair is a new documentary series that is about our relationship with electronics and what we do with them when we would normally get rid of them. Uh, there's a huge like e-waste problem. Our electronics are very disposable these days. Like, you know, you get an Amazon Echo and then you get a new Amazon Echo the next year. You get a refrigerator and it lasts for five years because it has a TV screen on the new one. State of Repair is a show about people who keep our electronics running, usually much longer than you'd expect. So our first episode is called The Pinball Doctors. Um, At least here in New York City, there's been a resurgence in classic pinball. So games like The Addams Family and Twilight Zone and some older ones that were invented in the 60s, 70s, and 80s uh, have shown back up in bars, but the companies that made them, they're out of business There's not that many of them left. Uh, The parts are hard to come by. And more importantly, there's not that many people who remember how to repair them because there was this big crash around the early 2000s. No one was playing pinball. 
and all the people who used to repair them have since retired or moved on. Except for Mike Hooker, who is one of the subjects that you talked to in the first segment of this series. How did Mike get into repairing pinball machines? Mike used to have an auto repair shop, and he bought a pinball machine for that auto repair shop because he liked pinball. And his customers were super obsessed with pinball, but the machine kept breaking. So he taught himself how to fix it. And then he told us, like, one day a customer asked if he could fix another pinball machine that had broken in that person's house. And he said yes. And the rest is sort of history. He pivoted from the car repair business to the pinball repair business. Um, He's also, uh, at night, he works on the Long Island Railroad as a train fixer. So uh, his whole life is repair and playing these games. Um, His whole house is like this museum of oddities, like... His basement is full of these old carnival shooter games, like boardwalk shooting type games from the 60s and 70s. And this pinball machine about a clown, which is very weird, called Happy Clown. Very scary. Sounds terrifying. Um, But yeah, so he spends all his time now repairing pinball machines. Um, He does it for bars around uh, New York City. He also goes to uh, collector's houses. So he makes house calls and fixes pinball machines that are broken. And you mentioned a resurgence of pinball here in New York. Why do you think that people are excited to play these old arcade games again? My theory is that these people grew up with pinball and people who grew up in the 80s and 90s now are like starting businesses and they remember, hey, pinball was really fun in my youth. I'm going to open up a bar and put a bunch of pinball machines in it. I haven't done like any scientific research on whether that's the case or not, but uh, there is a pinball bar around the corner from my house called the Sunshine Laundromat, very cool place, and they have a ton of really cool pinball machines in there, and that's sort of the story behind that. And for Mike, it really sounds like, given the trajectory of his career, that the idea of repair is really important to him. What is it about taking care of the things that we have or fixing what is broken. What is it about that that's so crucial to him? I think it's something that's crucial to a lot of people. And that's the reason we started uh, this documentary series is repair is very empowering. If you get an iPhone and the screen breaks, a lot of people might just get a new phone. Or if the battery isn't working, you might get a new phone. But you can actually open up these devices, put something new in it, and then it performs as though it was new. We're taught not to open up our electronics. Like a lot of electronics actually have stickers on them that say like warranty void if removed. And these are like sort of do not enter signs on uh, on our electronics. So there's a growing movement of people who say, you know, I want to know how this thing works and I want to take care of it. I want to extend its life. And repairing something is one of the best things that you can do for the environment. Um, we talk about like reduce, reuse, recycle. Uh, repair could be a fourth R. I think that's a talking point of the right to repair movement. The right to repair movement. How big is that? And is it gaining momentum? So the right to repair movement is made up of people who either have repair businesses or they are just interested in repairing their own things. Uh, They're trying to pass state level legislation that would require electronics manufacturers to provide repair manuals like if Apple gives a repair manual to its own geniuses at the Genius Bar, like here's how you do a screen repair, Apple would have to make that available to the average consumer. Um, they'd also have to sell repair parts to the general public. And so what the right to repair movement is trying to do is trying to pass this legislation. 
last year in 2017, I think there were 14 states that introduced this. Um, it didn't get passed anywhere. But so far this year in 2018, we're only a couple weeks in, there's already been 17 states that have introduced it. So it's definitely an idea that's gaining momentum. And I think their goal is to get at least, you know, one or two state laws passed this year in a perfect world. Making an educated guess, and I don't have any, again, scientific proof for this, I think that Obviously, Apple's resistance to introduce these repair manuals certainly comes from a commercial interest. They definitely make more money if we all buy new phones every year. But I think part of it as well is that the culture that has been created, and I'm sure there's a chicken and egg you know, scenario we could debate here, the culture that's been created privileges the new as exciting, as progressive, as advanced, how does the right to repair movement sort of grapple with that almost ingrained, you know, value system that has been created? That is a really good question. And it's something I haven't talked to a lot of the people in the movement about. However, I think you're really hitting on something there where the right to repair movement is not like anti-electronic. You know, if your phone isn't working anymore, if you're using a like phone that's six or seven years old, it's time to get a new phone. I think where it comes, where their interests lie is sort of the like premature deaths of electronics. So it's like, I bought a phone three weeks ago and I, I broke the screen and now I have to take it to the Apple store because Apple won't sell a screen replacement and Apple is going to charge me $300 to get that fixed when I could take it around the corner to someone else and they'll fix it for $100 or something. So they're trying to make it a lot more accessible. Uh, you know, life extension is certainly part of it, but in many cases, it's not about making people use technology they don't want to use. I think it's about enabling technology that people still want to use, whether it be, you know, something that I just bought that I accidentally broke or something from my childhood that, you know, the manufacturer isn't around anymore or uh, only a few people know how to fix this thing, but it's still really cool, like pinball machine. You know, if you can take that out of the dump or prevent it from going to the dump and breathe new life into it, I think it's like a technology that can be enjoyed by a whole new generation of people. There's two more parts still to come. Can you give us any sneak peeks at, at what you guys are going to be talking about? Yeah. So this first episode doesn't really touch the right to repair movement that we just talked about. Um, the next two episodes grapple with that much more directly. Um, and we're talking about technologies that people use every day, like modern technologies. So the next episode is about farmers who are trying to repair their John Deere tractors and have had trouble doing so because of software that the company has introduced to sort of like monopolize the repair market. And the last one is about iPhones. Great. Yeah. Can't wait. To read Jason's full article, go to motherboard.vice.com. That's it for now. Thanks for listening. For more news and culture, check out vice.com. And tune in again tomorrow for another Vice Guide to right now. <laughs>